Chicago's home for sports. This is White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. McKnight. Hope you got some rest after last night. What a win it was for the White Sox after they took it over the Oakland A's 5-3 in thrilling fashion. And boy, is this AL Central getting interesting now. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. We'll talk with Connor a little bit later on in today's show. We'll also here from Romy Gonzalez coming up in just a little bit as well. He had the game-tying RBI yesterday and also had that magnificent 4-for-5 performance as well against Oakland. But now the White Sox sitting one and a half games back of Cleveland for the division lead. On their tails, the Minnesota Twins, two and a half. And this is going to be a very, very intriguing race to the finish here as we close out September and head into October. If you want to jump on into the show, 312-332-3776. This is White Sox Weekly as the White Sox now winners of eight of their last ten. One of the hottest teams in the AL over the last 10 games. Them, the Tampa Bay Rays, who have won 9 of 10. The Houston Astros, 8 of 10. That's some good company to be in. The Blue Jays, also winners of 8 of their last 10. But the White Sox playing some good baseball. And is this sort of the turning point for them right now? Does something feel different? I want to go through that a little bit later on in the show. But in case you didn't have enough energy to stay up last night, here's what happened in the finale of last night's game. Menez swings and drives one deep to right. This one's going to go absolutely blasted by Aloy Jimenez. Home run in back-to-back nights for Aloy. First run for the White Sox tonight. Here's the 1-1 to Vaughn. Ground ball up the middle and through. Garcia is being waved around third. He will score easily. Andrew Vaughn comes through with a two-out RBI knock. It's 3-2. to two. So and one against Puck. Tying runs at second. Here's the pitch. Shot in the left. It's down. McEwing waves him around third. The play at the plate is not in time. We're tied. Tied at three. Elvis fires one in the left. This is down in the corner. Sox take the lead. Zavala scores. Romy home. Elvis Andrews in the place he used to play. Gives the White Sox a 5-3 lead in the night. And Elvis is in the building. Kick in the first to Langoliers. It's a ground ball to short. Andrews up with it. Romy the turn and the White Sox win it. Liam Hendricks throws a double play ball, and the White Sox come back from being no hit through six and down 3-0 in the ninth. They score five and earn the win. You heard Connor McKnight there. It was an offensive outage for the White Sox in the early going, but they turned it around their second five-plus run ninth inning of the year. One of two teams in the AL 
to accomplish that feat, that courtesy of Jay Kuda on Twitter, at Jay Kuda. He also said that the Guardians, the other team that has accomplished that feat this season. So the White Sox pulled off a five-run ninth. Things just feeling a little bit different after this one. You look at some of the wins that the White Sox have had as of late, whether it was this one, whether it was on uh, Thursday night, that it was where the White Sox blew out the A's. We haven't seen a lot of big time offensive outings like that. The White Sox scored a season high 14 runs against the A's. And then think back to the game before that on getaway day against Seattle to take two of three against a playoff caliber Mariners team on the road. And you go out and after being down four runs early, you come back and you put together a nice little run of yourself, and you end up winning that game at 9-6, to six, six unanswered. Now, Seattle did respond, but you had the wherewithal to go out there and finish out the game and win that one 9-6. So we've seen a different little breed of White Sox baseball, maybe more towards the stuff that we were expecting from this White Sox team heading into this season. But here we are, three games above five hundred. The White Sox now a game and a half back of Cleveland, in the AL Central. Miguel Cairo has been the interim manager for the White Sox over the past two weeks or so. This is what he had to say about last night's win. That was a good one. You know, we were like sleeping for a little bit and we just got a wake-up call. That was that was a good game. It was nice to come back and, and beat uh, the, the another team and it was it was good. What's the key to, to be able to pull out a one like they, that? They, 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 they don't give up. And they believe in that we can do it, and we don't give up. That's uh, the phrase that, that Tony used, never give up. And that's what we're using right now, never give up, and 27 out. We talked about Eli before the game, but you know, to get the first hit there in the seventh, and then the, the spark to the right there. Yes, that was a good at bat, and that was a big spark for the whole team, and good at bat as to that. And then Romy you know, struck out the first three times, but... You know, coming on through two outs in the, in the ninth inning as well. That was that was a kid. Base seed and, and Elvis came through again for us here in, in Oakland. That's, hopefully he can do it two more times. To so liken the, uh, just enjoying a win like that uh, with these guys afterwards. I just, you know, like, we got time to celebrate right now. That was a good win. Tomorrow tomorrow we got to come back and, and, and do it again and with the same intensity. With the same uh, fired and go out there and, and do do our best. That's what we're doing. We're having fun. We're doing our best. And whatever comes with that is, is good. So the White Sox now have taken four of five to open up this West Coast swing. They've got two more, one today with the A's and another tomorrow. First pitch today coming up at 3.07. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson have the call out in the Bay. Looking forward to this one because this is something where you you don't want to let this momentum seed right now, especially against an A's team, 39 games below 500. These are the ones that you need to pick off. These are some of the easy ones. Make some of your layups here. And I look at the White Sox. Taking, if you can take three of four against the A's after taking two of three against the Mariners and you close out this uh, this West Coast series with two winning series on the road, that's a nice little momentum boost heading into the final stretch here. And then you get a, a couple days off next week, a two-game set with the Colorado Rockies as well. So the White Sox have a chance to do some damage here, especially when on the other side of the divisional race right now, 
You've got a Cleveland and Minnesota team that are right there in the thick of things with you, but they're playing each other. You can let them beat up on each other. You know one of them is going to lose every single night, and you got to take advantage of some of that. Um, we will actually, let's talk with Romy Gonzalez right now. He joins us on White Sox Weekly. Romy, welcome on into the show. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. What a win it was last night. You had the game-tying RBI, but you struggled a little bit in the early portions. What allowed you to have that short memory and, and make you able to come up there in a big situation and deliver for your team? Oh, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, you know, that was a huge win. Um, great, great team performance. And, um, you know, just referring back to what you said, yeah, I didn't have the best game leading up to that point, but that's the game of baseball. You know, that's why you play nine innings. Um, you know, each at-bat you got to flush no matter – you know, good or bad, you just got to move on to the next bat and just be present. So you had a couple of really good at-bats the game before that against Oakland. What has it been ever since you coming back up with the team this season and and getting your feet under yourself here in 2022? You've really, really had a strong push since joining this roster. What's been the secret to to you having this sort of success early on? Um, I don't think there's any secret. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm feeling healthy finally. You know, it's been a crazy year um, for me health-wise. And, you know, I'm just feeling healthy and being able to play every day is just, you know, it's been been huge. And I'm just sticking to my approach and just coming out here every day working hard and having a good time. Now, you being a young guy on this team, who has been one of the elder statesmen in the clubhouse, or maybe not elder statesmen, that's sort of taken you under their wing and helped you acclimate to the big leagues? I mean, there's not... There's not really one guy that I can sing aloud. It's been pretty much everyone. You know, everyone's welcomed me with open arms, and everyone, you know, is is always trying to help each other out. Um, but yeah, man, it's every everyone's been great, especially all the older guys, man. They they uh, you know, they know that you know we're we're down to the last few weeks of the season, and we can you know we can definitely make our way into the playoffs, and you know that's what we're trying to do. So everyone's you know it's all hands on deck. Romy Gonzalez, our guest here on White Sox Weekly. So. You have been an in- integral part of this team that is in the thick of a playoff race, and it's been an up-and-down season for the White Sox, but for someone who sort of parachutes in in a pivotal point in the season, what's that experience been like for you? Oh, I mean, it's great. You know, we're playing uh, we're playing meaningful games here in September. You know, typically, you know, like last year, we were up, you know, 10 games um, in the division, and yeah, but, you know, every game counts now, and it's it's great, you know, especially when you're winning. Um, you know, we've been doing a great job as of late, and, you know, we hopefully, you know, we continue to, to win ball games. So a four-game series in Oakland, you had a three-game series in Seattle. What are you guys doing to pass the time when you're out west, when you don't get a lot of these games out west? Um, it's pretty much the same, you know. We, uh, you know, just get to the ballpark, we hang out with each other, and, you know, just prepare for the day and get ready for the game. Romy Gonzalez with us here on White Sox Weekly. So your fifth game up this season, you are in the leadoff spot for Tony La Russa. What did it mean to you being up so quickly that a Hall of Fame manager and Tony La Russa was entrusting you with the leadoff spot after Tim Anderson w- was down? Uh, I mean, it's definitely a great feeling. You know, it's just knowing that, you know, the, that, that Tony had that confidence in me to be a, you know, leadoff for, the, uh, for us. And, yeah, you know, um, yeah, well, I mean, obviously, yeah, great feeling. Does something feel different now with this team? I mean, we've seen the ebbs and flows of this season, and, and you've been a part of the ride, too, but does something feel different now with the team now that uh, you're going out, you're winning a lot of games on the road here in a really tough stretch, and uh, you're in the thick of a divisional race as well? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, we know, uh, you know, the season, we got 25 games left or so, and, you know, we know that there's no more time to waste. Um, you know, each and every game matters, and, you know, we know that our backs are up against the wall, and that's, you know, that's when we show who's who, and we'll see what, what you know, we can do with the remainder of the year. Now, yesterday, MLB and the competition committee voted on a number of rule changes, and uh, particularly with the pitch clock, and especially someone who's played in the minors this season, everyone talks about it from the pitcher's perspective. But for you as a hitter, what are your thoughts on some of the changes coming to baseball with the pitch clock and then also the shift as well? Um, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of the shift. Um, I think it just adds a, a, a you know, you know, you're playing the probability of, of certain guys in your defensive positioning. Um, in regards to the pitch clock, I think it's, diff- it's more difficult for hitters. Um, we're, since as long as I can remember, we've been always taught to, you know, slow the game down. Um, and you know, when, when you, when you swing at a bad pitch, you want to step out, regroup and, and refocus. And it's been, it was kind of difficult to do that this year in triple A, but you know, we, a lot of guys made the adjustment. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm very curious to see how, you know, some of the other guys are going to take to it since they've never had a pitch clock, you know, to worry about. How long did it take you to adjust to that pitch clock? Because, I mean, you've been playing baseball your entire life with no timer on you, and now all of a sudden you've got this clock that's sort of dictating the pace and kind of dictating your entire at-bat. Yeah, I mean, um, with, with, it, it's more with no runners on, it's pretty difficult. I think we have, so it's 15 seconds for the pitcher to release the ball. We had, like, we had, as a hitter, till nine seconds to uh, to engage with the pitcher. So it seems so quick, and you know, I I still really wasn't used to it to be quite to be quite honest. But I think with the runner on base, it, it gives us a little more time to uh to regroup and 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 focus on what we want to do with the baseball and our approach. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be an adjustment for a lot of guys. Romy Gonzalez with us here on White Sox Weekly. The other one that is interesting to me is the increasing the size of the base from 15 square inches to 18 square inches. Is that something that you guys talk about, about how that's going to make a difference in the game? Um, not necessarily. Um, you know, I think it's going to help, too, with the, uh, with the collisions at first base. Um, when throws go up the line and stuff, you know, we have a little bit more room to work with as runners. Um, and and turning double plays two up the middle, you know, the the bigger bag creates um, more room for you know to move around and, and get out of the way. So I think I think that's a great uh, new rule. That's interesting that you're talking about it from a fielder's perspective there, because I feel like a lot of people have discussed that from a base running perspective, maybe to encourage more stealing, more action in the game. So that it's interesting you bring that up. So of the three, which do you think is going to make the biggest impact on the game moving forward i mean i would definitely have to say the pitch clock for sure that's going to be a a a huge adjustment i think for for a lot of us especially the guys who have never you know played with the pitch clock you know i can't i can't speak for myself because i did it this year in triple a but um yeah i think that's going to be the biggest adjustment because like i said earlier you know it's as hitters we're taught to slow the game down and and with that pitch clock looming it's it's going to be a little little challenge to do that Romy Gonzalez with us here on White Sox Weekly. So you and I actually go back uh, a little bit. I don't know if you remember me, but back when you were with the Orleans Firebirds, I used to call your games in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Um, and, and we probably did a couple of post-game interviews because you were, you were quite the player out in Cape Cod. But 
Um, what do you remember from your Cape Cod Baseball League experience, and how did that help shape you into the player you are today? Yeah. Actually, Bob uh, told me um, that you were out there, oh, and yeah. I do remember you. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, I mean, that, that was such a fun time in my life, you know, playing – playing against the best collegiate baseball players in the country for the whole summer, especially up there in Cape Cod, which is gorgeous, gorgeous part of Massachusetts. Um, yeah, man, it was an incredible experience. And, you know, I made a lot of a lot of great friends out there and, you know, friends that I still speak to this day. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you're going through a roll call of that team, you think of some of the guys that are in the pros right now. Logan Gilbert, who you guys faced the other day. Daniel Lynch, who you guys have faced a couple times this season. Lars Nukbar of the, the St. Louis Cardinals as well. So who are some of the guys that you still keep in touch with? Yeah, I mean, definitely, probably Lars I would speak to the most. Um, but yeah, like Logan Gilbert, Daniel Lynch, um, you know, Daniel Lynch being in our division, see him a lot, so it's great to see him. But yeah, man, it's crazy. You know, just five, six years ago, we were playing summer baseball there, and you know, and a lot of us, you know, have made it to the major leagues, which is incredible. So it's always a great time to see them and compete against them. Now, I remember there was something with you guys and with the team in Harwich as well. You guys used to play a lot of wiffle ball at night after your games. Can you give me a quick roll call of or attendance taking of who participated in some of those wiffle ball games? Oh man, uh, those, those, those were fun nights. We would, yeah, we would go to one of the guys' um, whole family's home in uh, in Harwich, and we'd play wiffle ball. Um, I know, I remember Lars Newbar going out there. Um, Jonathan India, he was with Harwich. Um, he's a good friend of mine. Um, Nico Decalati. We had a bunch of guys, man. It was it was a great time, you know. Now, just, just having fun. I remember that Kyler Murray was a Harwich player as well. Did he ever partake in, in any of the wiffle ball games? No, Kyler would never go to any of the wiffle ball games. Though. I remember seeing him uh, at the beach a few times during a few off days. Um, um, yeah, Kyler, Kyler's a good dude. It's very impressive to see what he's doing over there in the NFL. Yep. Romy Gonzalez with us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for taking some time with us today. Appreciate you hopping on, and best of luck the rest of the series, and keep on hitting. Appreciate it, man. That's Romy Gonzalez, White Sox second baseman. He's been all over the place hitting the baseball and came up with a big game-tying RBI single yesterday in the White Sox 5-3 win. They keep the momentum rolling here. Let's take a break real quick. But first, hey, join us at the Whites, as the White Sox take on the Colorado Rockies this Tuesday, September 13th, for Nurse Appreciation Night presented by St. Xavier University. All nurses and their families and friends can enjoy a specially priced ticket package. This includes a game ticket and a White Sox cap for the first 1,000 fans. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash nurse or call 312-674-1000. When we come back, we've got an update on Tony La Russa. We'll do that in just a little bit. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We'll talk with Connor McKnight coming up at 1 o'clock. He is out in Oakland. He'll be on the call alongside Darren Jackson coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk with Connor from the ballpark in about seven minutes from now. We do have an update from the White Sox on manager Tony La Russa. Remember, La has been out the last couple of weeks due to medical reasons, and this coming from the White Sox. Tony La Russa's team of doctors has cleared 
White Sox manager Tony La Russa to travel to Oakland to participate in Sunday's pregame ceremony. That's tomorrow, retiring Dave Stewart's uniform number for the Oakland A's. Remember, those two go way back from their time in Oakland. La Russa's doctors have not yet cleared his return to the dugout as an active manager. La Russa will travel with the team to Chicago following Sunday's game in Oakland. So good to see that Tony being given the okay to travel with the team as well as go see his old buddy Dave Stewart and get his number retired as well. 312-332-3776 if you want to join us here on White Sox Weekly. Chuck is in Downers Grove. Chuck, welcome to the to White Sox Weekly. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, guys. Hey, I was listening to, uh, I don't know if Rami's still on the phone, but I was there, my daughter Erica, and but we, we, had a, we were out at the game last weekend when Rami hit his first Homer, I caught the Homer. Security swarmed me and said, hey, Ryman needs his Homer back. I'm like, of course. So uh, just wanted to kind of reach out and say, and I know he's hit a second one since because I'm following the team, but uh, it was awesome game, his first Homer. Hopefully Rami got that ball back. Um, Love fighting for it in the stands. And uh, good luck in the future. Go Sox. You guys are heating up. Thank you very much, Chuck, and great to hear that you're one of those guys who who gives it to the guy who accomplished the feat. That, to me, is always important, and and it's something that I'm sure Romy got it, and I'm sure it's a a ball that he will cherish for the rest of his life, his first career big league homer. Again, that that is something that's really cool, and, and good on you for going out and making sure it gets in the right hands. All right, when we come back, Connor McKnight will join us from Oakland. Looking forward to checking in with him. Hey, join us at Guaranteed Rate Field next Tuesday, September 20th for 90s Night, presented by Cordeck as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Guardians at 7, 10 p.m. Cordeck, your next day service metal deck supply company. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. Connor McKnight, when we come back on White Sox Weekly. This fires one in the left. This is down to the corner. Sox take the lead. Zavala scores. Romy home. Elvis enters in the place he used to play. Gives the White Sox a 5-3 lead in the night. And Elvis is in the building. Oh, yes, he was, DJ, and he has been fantastic since he has joined the White Sox. Back-to-back multi-hit games against his former team for Elvis Andrews. He was yesterday's hero in the White Sox 5-3 win over the Oakland A's. This is White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Hey, join us as the White Sox take on the Colorado Rockies this Tuesday, September 13th for Nurse Appreciation Night presented by St. Xavier University. All nurses and their families and friends can enjoy a specially priced ticket package. This includes a game ticket and a White Sox cap for the first 1,000 fans. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com nurse or call 312-674-1000. We will talk with Connor McKnight in just a little bit. But I do want to, a little bit later on in the show, get to a couple things, including this article from Jesse Rogers talking about the AL Central. Who will win as rival execs handicap the three-team race between the Guardians, the White Sox, and the Minnesota Twins? The Guardians and Twins currently doing battle in Minneapolis as they 
are in the middle of a three-game series, and that is a super fascinating one that I'm sure White Sox fans will be score-watching for the bulk of this weekend as well. Let's go on out to Oakland now and check in with Connor McKnight. Connor, welcome on into your show, pal. <laughs> Tyler, good Good morning. Is it morning there? I don't. It is I'm afternoon. The time zone West Coast thing. time. I don't really understand it. Yeah, I, I feel like whenever you're time adjusting and stuff like that, even though you've been on the West Coast for a couple of days now, you never truly acclimate. I feel like to West Coast time unless you live. No, there. no, not really. You know me, Tyler. I'm a, I, I like college football. It's probably my second favorite sport. I woke up this morning and college game day was already over. Uh, I, I've been. I haven't missed a college game. I haven't slept in that late since college. So it was, it was kind of weird. It's a jarring experience. You know, you wake up and Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreit are wrapping the show as opposed to getting started. It's strange. Yeah, you're getting the headgear picks with your coffee. That's not, you're not used to doing that. Um, no, it's way too soon. It's you know, way too soon. You know, I thought I would love the mountain time zone, but then I was out there one time and it was the middle of March Madness. And I was like, you know, 10 a.m. basketball just really doesn't do it for me. So I, I asked around, so Andrew Vaughn is obviously from here. Mm-hmm. He went to school at Cal Berkeley just up the road, and I was talking with him, and he, he kind of uh, he, he commiserated with the plight, especially for the college football side. But he did tell me, just wait for tomorrow, Sunday, because the NFL schedule starting that early is actually pretty great. So okay. I'm, obviously we'll be on the bus over here to the ballpark and stuff, but I, you know, I, can, I can feel the rhythm. I can see that. Getting the NFL Sunday started at, like, 10 in the morning? I'm, yeah. I'm down for that. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into last night's game. How about it? Uh, a five-run ninth inning. Fantastic work by you as well. We've been playing the highlights all afternoon long here. But what a win for the White Sox. And, and this feels like one of those wins that feels a little bit different. We haven't seen a lot of those type of games out of the White Sox this year. You, you don't get a lot of those in a season, regardless of how good you are or how well you've been playing. Down 3 nothing in the ninth, and that play by Tony Kemp to start the inning going back behind second. I mean, that's a that's a highlight real play to start the ninth for the A's closer, A.J. Puck. And, you know, you figure after that play, well, the leadoff man's out. You need three runs. This is going to be a really difficult thing to do. Aloy Jimenez absolutely smoked one into the right field seat. That was impressive. And here's the other thing, Tyler, too. You know, listen, maybe it's the benefit of facing a left-handed closer in A.J. Puck, uh, who has some decent stuff, but missed outside with the fastball to the last three hitters, to the, the, the middle three hitters, all of them that scored. Uh, you know, the White Sox had a really good plate approach, and it, it was nice to see that kind of, you know, the dominance, that confidence uh, against lefty pitching. Um, and I think that helped give the White Sox a chance last night with Puck on the bump. It was, it was really cool to see. You know, how many of these games, we're talking with Land about this a little bit on the bus ride back home, how many of those games, you know, you, see, you come back, you score three, you tie it up in the ninth, and then you got to fight and claw for three or four more innings just to win the thing or, or maybe even lose it, what with the Manfred man at second base making things weird and extras. I, they, Elvis had that big hit, hooked one into the corner, and gave the Sox the extra two. Liam Hendricks put it away after a leadoff walk. I mean, that was that was as clean a comeback as you could ask for as well. And yeah, it does. It does have the guys jumping a little bit this morning. It's been nice to see. Yeah. Five, three, the win for the white Sox. You know, this West coast trip has been really fascinating to me. First of all, you've taken four of five to start it. That's always a great start to things when you're out of your element on the West coast, 
But on top of that, too, it feels like we're seeing the White Sox win games in a little bit of a different way. We're seeing a little more power. I look back to Thursday night when everybody was leaving the yard, it felt like, including Yohan Moncada with the two bombs. You're seeing the power start to regress to the mean. Are, are you starting to... We, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago, I feel like, where it's like, has the, has the cart left the, the station on maybe this won't regress to the mean? But are we starting to see this power get back to where we thought it would be? Yeah, I, you know, I think we are. You know, whether it's guys like Eloy going the opposite way, Gavin Sheets has said, you know, I didn't, he didn't hit one, uh, a homer in a uh, home run derby on Thursday night. But we've seen him in batting practice, really lifting and separating. That's been impressive to see. Um, Romy Gonzalez, who I, I know you just had on White Sox Weekly, and if for fans listening, if they missed that, download the ESPN Chicago app, right? Am I, I'm it's almost like you host this thing from time stuff. to time. Yeah, that's what I do. Download the ESPN Chicago app, go listen to the Romy Gonzalez interview. Uh, but he's been, I mean, he's not in the lineup today. He gets a well-deserved day off. Uh, but he's been terrific, absolutely terrific in his at-bats over the last couple of weeks, uh, providing some pop as well. And, and I, I think, too, um, what this West Coast swing, these games against the Mariners and A's have shown you, is that this offense can get into it uh, and get the back pocket into it, like DJ says. It, this has been here for a while. Why they're accessing it now, why it's, why it's um, you know, I wouldn't say easier because, you know, you're facing big league pitching after all, but why it's coming around now, I, I, I wish I could tell you. I know they do too. Uh, but it is happening at the right time, especially in a series here where, you know, we're going to watch the Guardians and Twins beat each other up for a couple of days. And, and truly, and I, I don't mean to take a shot at the A's here, but this is a chance to win four games and not have to sweat too much doing it. Or, or maybe all the sweating was done last night, and, and hopefully that's out of the way. This is, that is what you need to do down the stretch here if you're the White Sox. Connor McKnight with us on White Sox Weekly. You'll hear him on the call alongside Darren Jackson. First pitch coming up at 3.07 today. That is central time for you, Connor, so don't show up 3.07 Pacific time to the ballpark today. Um, we have a very, very intriguing AL Central, all right? You got three teams in the thick of things. You brought it up there. Twins and Guardians playing each other right now. I'm not going to ask you to handicap it. Uh, Jesse Rogers did a good article on that from execs, but... What do you think the winning margin in this division is going to be from a game's back standpoint? I don't think it'll be large. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're. I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about what potential tiebreakers look like. And of course, this season that's head-to-head records and not a game one sixty-three. I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about tiebreakers all the way through October. Um, none of these teams uh, have have really shown themselves. I mean, listen, even with the run the White Sox are on. They've gotten on moves like this before, and they've given a couple back. Hopefully this is the point of the season where the White Sox, you know, do put that talent on display and, and close the gap. But, you know, we'll have to see that first. I, I would not be surprised, Tyler, at all if we're talking about one game, two games that separate first and second place in this division. And, of course, with the way the AL wild cards are looking, that obviously means one team from the Central is making the playoffs. Uh, with the way the Rays have kind of shook loose and, and the Orioles kind of standing, you know, outside looking in right now, but still four, I, I think it's four games clear of the White Sox um, in the wildcard standing. So, yeah, I, I think it is close. I, I think it's really close. I think the way the Guardians play baseball, you know, a pretty fundamentally sound, well-pitched ball game most times out is going to keep them in more than not. Um, I think the Twins are probably the uh, – 
the, the shakiest of the three clubs right now, given agree. the state of their pitching and, and some of the injuries that they've suffered too. And, and you know, here's the wild card too, Tyler. I, I Can Luis Robert get back to 100% by, I don't know, a week from now, even a week from half, a week and a half from now, that would be huge. That is a big difference maker for this White Sox lineup uh, to say nothing of the injury status of Tim Anderson. But even then, you know, if, if you're still in it, you can't, if you're pushing TA, I don't think you want to be in that spot either. And I just mean from an injury standpoint, you know, if he's healthy, he's healthy. Uh, if he's not, obviously Elvis Andrews at this point is doing a very, very good job holding down the fort. You know, it's funny you bring up uh, the volatility of the Twins and also the health of Luis Robert because the, the Twins, much like how the White Sox really would love to have Luis Robert back, the Twins would really love to have Byron Buxton back. And you're talking about two players who, whose health may end up deciding this division at the end of the day. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's fair. Um, I think, too, what those guys offer is, you know, let's not forget, their defense is elite, stellar. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely top-tier defense. And for teams with the Twins and the Sox that allow, as a, as a pitching staff, that allow the number of fly balls, to, you know, it's a, they're more of a fly ball team. I mean, the White mm-hmm. Sox strike out a lot of batters as well. But, you know, when they're giving up contact, it really does feel like a lot of it is in the air. Uh, that means there's more pressure on that outfield defense. And when Luis Robert is there, this isn't necessarily taking anything away from A.J. Pollock or Adam Engel, uh, but those guys have been, well, Adam has been that fourth or fifth outfielder this year, and, and Pollock has been in the corner as much as anywhere else. Luis Robert is that dude. Um, so when you talk about run prevention and winning games on the margins, which, with the exception this last week is what the White Sox have had to do, Taking that extra runaway, that extra ninety feet, that extra you know extra base hit away from a ball club with great defense in center field can be a difference. And going back to something we were talking about earlier, if the margin in this division is one game, if it's yeah. one and a half, I mean, one run may decide the division. It really could. It truly, truly could. Yeah. It's going to be quite the race. Uh, Connor McKnight with us here on White Sox Weekly. He'll be alongside DJ on the call later on today. So the big news in baseball is the rule changes that are coming down the road here. And these are interesting because now we've got a banning of the defensive shift, a pitch clock, and larger bases. I was talking with Romy Gonzalez a little bit about this earlier, but which of the three do you think will have the biggest impact on the game moving forward? I think it'll be the pitch clock, and I don't think it's going to be all that close. Um, with the eh, maybe, if, I don't know if you've talked yet on the show about the disengagement rule—the idea that a guy mm-hmm. can step off and/or throw over only twice before needing to get a guy at third. I think that could be the biggest in-game adjustment that we see, where things kind of go haywire for maybe a week and a half when we start spring training or even into the regular season. But I think things will get ironed out there. I think the pitch clock fundamentally changes this game, not just from an on-field perspective, but also a philosophical perspective. I mean, we haven't had rules like this, whether it's the shift change, the pitch clock, implemented in baseball since 1902, when the rules committee said that the catcher actually did have to stay relatively close to home. 1902. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a way. That's before both wars, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think when we're talking about what this does to not only rate of play, Um, but also to the ability of pitchers to regather for that next 99-mile-an-hour fastball. I think we're going to see who can and who can't 
get themselves back up to top tier effort. And I think that allows more action to get into this ball game. And here's another thing. DJ and I were talking about this on the broadcast last night. We spoke with Jimmy Lambert um, yesterday in the clubhouse. And I, he, he made a point of saying, listen, I've played with these rules. You know, I don't know that Jimmy was necessarily wild about them, but I think a lot of guys are that way and are saying, you know, listen, this is, this, this is my job. They're changing the rules of my job. So be it. I'll figure it out. And I don't blame any one player for that. But Jimmy was kind of pointing out that, like, listen, this, this game goes so much faster. 26 minutes on average are being shaved off of minor league games with, with 8,000 of them played and a big sample size to represent it. Even with more action, more scoring, these games are still getting shorter. And, and Jimmy made a point of saying you don't even notice all this extra stuff. That, well, you, you, you don't notice it from a time standpoint, all this extra stuff that's going on in the game. You just kind of enjoy it. And to hear that from a pitcher, you know, the guy who is, is having the most pressure applied to him with these rules changes, I, I thought was pretty telling. Um, you know, again, whether, whether guys like or can get used to or, or are even going to tell you the truth about how they feel about these rules changes, because I, I, I do think there's a little bit of, you know, pressure to accept this. You know, we saw that the union uh, did not vote along with these rules changes they were not happy with any of them, with the exception of bigger bases, um, and, and had their nits to pick about it. But I, you know, I think these guys are, are willing to accept what is going to change here in 2023. And I, I think the change is going to be, uh, Tyler, I think the change is going to be massive. I think it's going to be yeah. absolutely massive. Connor McKnight with us on White Sox Weekly. You know, you actually, I think, brought up the best way to describe the impact of the pitch clock here. To me, and this was probably like a year ago maybe, but it was, think about doing a bench press. And you've got to do 10 reps. One one side of things, you've got to do it in 30 seconds. The other side is you have 10 minutes to do these 10 reps. It makes a difference. It's a lot tougher to do it in the 30 seconds, and you don't have that same bounce to you time and time again when you got to get back on the bench. So I, that's the best way that I think I've had it explained to me was from you there. In terms of the, the shift, do you like what's happening with the no, change in the shift? No, 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 I don't. No, I, yeah. I, I mean, and, and DJ and I have talked about this too. I, I don't, from a philosophical standpoint, I don't like the idea of telling defenders, telling a, your, your baseball team that they can't align themselves to be, you know, the best baseball team they want to be, right? Um, I don't, I've, I've heard the other analogies in other sports. Oh, there's no, you know, three-second defense in yeah. the NBA. And, you know, we do all this stuff in football. It, I, I don't think the cross-sport analogy works here. I, baseball is a I'm very different sport. It, it's, it doesn't – I don't think it vibes. But I, I do – my biggest issue with the banning of the shift is this idea that we're going to now incentivize these big left-handed sluggers, these Joey Gallows, right, to go hit in a different way. That's not what's going to happen. They're going to continue to hit the home run swing. They're going to continue to do what they need to do. And and what instead is going to work is that these guys will be rewarded with by bad contact or with bad contact with weak singles to the right side. And that's fine. That will get, I guess, what we want. But it is not going to change the style of baseball that we're seeing. It simply won't. It's not disincentivizing that lefty slugger home run. It is only changing their reward structure. So they don't have to change a single thing about how they go up to the plate. And if we go back, you know, a couple of years to, and, and Theo, I don't know if you watched the press conference yesterday. I'm sure you were producing a show or something 
Um, but but Seal was asked this question about you know how the homogenization of baseball, everybody do every front office is doing the same way, has kind of led to this rote and repetitive um, nature of, of constructing baseball teams and whether that's been damaging to the sport. And he said, yes, it, it has. And I think we've been talking about that for a little while. And while I applaud the idea of changing the permission structure in baseball that allows for run scoring, I, I don't think that this shift change addresses that. It's more like, it's more like treating a patient's symptoms and not the root cause of the disease. At the end of the day, that might make for a more entertaining baseball, and I guess that's all that matters. But there will be readjustments to this by baseball teams, by front offices. For instance, you know, Tyler, the, you, you got to keep two infielders on the left side and two infielders on the right of second base. Okay, so go right up to the line if you're the shortstop. And if you're Javi Baez, if you're, you know, if you're that mm-hmm. elite defensive shortstop, how much is that changing things for you? Is it changing it all that much? I don't think it is. So I, I think some of that is still going to be on the field. I, am, I, I apologize for going long with the answer, but I'm, I'm pretty passionate about what this shift ban is and what it isn't. And I think it's important. I, I think it's really important as baseball fans are going to watch a completely different style of game to understand why this is and also what it's not going to do while at the same time, how much it's going to change this game, you know? It sounds to me like it's one of those issues where, well, this was the way it used to be, and that was when our game was great, so that's why we got to fix it that way, or that's why we got to change it back to that way. Yeah, I I think, you know, to a degree, my opinion is that that the issue that affects baseball most right now is velocity. It's how hard guys throw and how many of them throw that damn hard. But we're not going to move the mound back, and we're not going to tell pitchers that a – it's a ball if you throw over 96 or anything. Like, these changes can't be made. Then, therefore, I suppose changing the way defenses can play the ball is the best way to go about it. And I'm not convinced by that argument, but I can definitely see how we got there. Absolutely. All right, Connor McKnight, thanks so much for spending some time with us here. And we will hear you on the call coming up at 3 o'clock out in the Bay with Darren Jackson. See you, Tyler. That's Connor McKnight. You can hear him every single Saturday on White Sox Weekly. He hosts it. He will also check in if he's not hosting it as well. Hey, get to the ballpark next Friday, September 23rd for Hispanic Heritage Night presented by Modelo. Celebrate with friends and family as the White Sox take on the Tigers at 710. And be sure to stick around for the first ever post-game drone show that will take place right after the last out. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. I want to get your thoughts on the new rules in baseball. We'll do that when we come back. This is White Sox Weekly. If you want to jump in, 312-332-3776. Do you like the new rules in baseball? The pitch clock, the banning of the shift, or any other of the changes that are coming. We'll do that when we come back on White Sox Weekly. Langoliers, it's a ground ball to short. Andrews up with it. Romy the turn, and the White Sox win it. Liam Hendricks throws a double play ball, and the White Sox come back from being no hit through six and down 3-0 in the ninth. They score five and earn the win. Big win last night for the Sox. A five spot in the ninth as they 
now sit a game and a half behind Cleveland for the AL Central. This is White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. Connor's got the call alongside DJ later on this afternoon. First pitch at 307. So the big news around baseball this week is the new rules that are set to take place for next season. That most notably include the implementation of a pitch clock as well as a ban of the defensive shift as well. The other rules that were also passed in this vote were the limiting of pickoff moves by pitchers as well as expanding the size of the bases from 15 square inches to 18 square inches there. I'm really intrigued to see how all this is going to play out. And I just had a long conversation with Connor about it. The one he's most passionate about is the defensive shift. I think that is where I would land as well in terms of which one I'm most intrigued and passionate about heading into this upcoming season because I do think that Connor's right. I don't think this is a cross-sport thing where, oh, the defensive three seconds is, is something that is implemented in basketball. I, I think some of these rules are outdated and Quite frankly, in, in the game of basketball, wouldn't shock me with the way that that game has changed to the degree that it is, that we get rid of the defensive three seconds because I don't think it's much of a benefit for a, a center to be standing down low like that. And that, to me, just shows the evolution of sports. We're seeing things change day after day after day, year after year after year in all of sports. Look at the NFL. It's become a pass, pass, pass league. We see very little with the running game as as we used to back in the day. The NBA, I brought up there, how some of those rules, I wouldn't be surprised if they were abolished at a certain point, but we see guys that are seven foot now go out and hit three-pointers from every which spot on the floor. In baseball, we see guys defensively that try to give themselves a tactical advantage, and now we're trying to take it away from them. I don't agree with it. I, I don't. I am... And I'm one of those people who, at the fir- at first blush, when I started to see the shift become a real prevalent thing, especially when you got three or four guys on one side of the infield, I started to think to myself, you know what, this looks weird and I'm not a fan of it, but really only for the aesthetic of it. And then once I became more and more aware of it and, and it became just more and more commonplace in baseball, I said, you know what, I kind of like this. Learn to to beat me another way. Learn to go out and and beat a defense a different way. And I know it's asking hitters a lot to kind of change the philosophy that they've been brought up with as well. But I think that I didn't have a better solution for the shift. So I was okay with the way that it was, and I came around to to kind of like the shift too. I think that. When you look at the what, what baseball is doing here is I don't know exactly what they're going to get out of it. I think if you were to implement the pitch clock and the pitch clock alone, I mean, the, the size of the bags doesn't really concern me all that much. Although I did think Romy Gonzalez brought up a good point when we talked with him earlier. And if you missed any of that, check it out on the White Sox Weekly Podcast. He talked about it from a fielding standpoint and kind of brought up the, the health benefits for it you're going to have fewer collisions at first it's going to be safer for guys turning double plays I thought that was a good point from Romy because the the way that the the pitch of the expanding the size of the bases 
I think the way that the average fan interpreted it as was we're going to see a lot more stolen bases and we're going to see a lot more guys be safe on the base paths as a result. And I think that from a health standpoint, it does help out some of these fielders who now have those extra, that little extra leeway to make sure they're avoiding some of these injuries on the base paths. So I thought that was interesting there. And then the uh, um, limiting of the disengagements from the rubber as well by a pitcher and the pickoff plays, I think that's, that's, it's going to be an interesting one because it's going to, you're going to see the, these pitchers and we're not going to really know the impact until we see it get implemented in a game where somebody ends up getting penalized as a result of it. And I think people are going to be really turned off by it when that happens. I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see on that. It'll be interesting. Uh, again, this is going to be a world of change here, but it's kind of reverting back to old ways. I I love, love, love the pitch clock, and it seems like players largely are in favor of pitch clocks when you talk to guys, especially ones that have been in the minor leagues, even guys that are doing rehab starts. It seems like they are fans, like established pitchers who have been pitching in baseball for some as long as a decade that have to go down and make a rehab start in the minors, it seems like they're in favor of the pitch clock. So um, I'm a fan of it as well. I think anything that you can do to speed up the game while not cheapening the result of the game as well, I think is good. But the, the banning of the shift is something that I'm not wholly in on. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it as well. 312-332-3776. I see you, Mike and Byron. We'll get to you after the break and any of your other thoughts as well. I'd love to hear them on the rule changes coming to baseball in the next year. 312-332-3776. Jimmy Lambert also gave his thoughts. You heard Connor talk about that when we talked with him a little bit earlier. We'll hear from him when we come back as well. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, taking you into White Sox pregame on the FanDuel White Sox pregame show at 2.30. First pitch against the Oakland A's coming up at 3.07. Connor McKnight and Darren Jackson have the call. Lance Lynn going up against Adrian Martinez tonight. Lance Lynn has been fantastic. We do need to get into him returning into form as well later on today on White Sox Weekly here. So, We've been talking this afternoon about all of the overhaul of rule changes that are going to be implemented into baseball next season. That includes the passing of the pitch clock. So that means that these pitchers will now have a timer on how long they can have off the mound. It's going to be a 15-second clock with the bases empty and a 20-second clock with runners on. And a banning of the shift as defensive alignments now must include two players on each side of the second base bag with both feet on the dirt as well as a limitation of pickoff moves and an expanding of the base size as well. Let's head on out to Byron. That's where we find Mike. He called 312-332-3776. Mike, welcome to White Sox Weekly. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I got two things for you. One's about the shift and the rule change. How are they going to implement or regulate the dirt and how far away it is from all the bases? Because I think every park is different when it comes to the dirt, how far it goes back into the outfield. 
You know, that's interesting. I'm not quite sure, Mike, because I thought that was pretty uniform across baseball, but maybe I'm wrong there. So I'll, I'll th- look into that for you. I know, yeah, for I think, example, I think it's different. the Tigers Detroit, where they play their dirt, and, and Connor and DJ were bringing it up last night, their dirt is way larger than most parks. So like that, that is something that they're going to have to They'll regulate. They'll probably have to regulate. And that's Eric Ostrowski, our producer there, Charming. And thank you, Eric, for that uh, right, clarification. Right, because I heard Gordon Beckham talking about that last night. He likes to play back when he was playing all the way back as far as he can on dirt, so it gives him more leeway left or right to get to that ball. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So no. One point. You'll have to. You'll have to uniform it across the league. I, I would imagine. Yeah. So the second point I want to get to is the game last night was great. I fell asleep fifth inning after being shut out, no hit, and I woke up and it was the eighth inning, and I wanted to watch Bummer. You know, see how he was doing. He did well. He got away with a few pitches that uh, could have been out of the park, but he did all right. Yeah, Aaron was good. One shutout inning with a strikeout yesterday. But uh, there was a, there was some major, you know, Tyro did a great job of taking, like, sheets out and putting in Grandel. He's got a better eye on the ball. And I don't think that Tony LaRusso would have made this change. Yeah, I appreciate I the- think I think that Cairo went with who's got the better eye, you know, for the ball, you know, even taking a walk like he did. No, I don't think Sheets. I think Sheets would have been trying to do too much, and I think that Larusa would have stuck with Sheets. Appreciate you know? the call there, Mike. Yeah, I think that Miguel Cairo has done a really good job filling in for for Tony Larusa. You don't always have the luxury of having a a guy who is has been as good as Cairo has been uh, on your bench, and I think that he has done a, a magnificent job filling in for Tony Larusa. We did get the updates earlier today from the White Sox that Tony Larusa will join the team for the Dave Stewart jersey retirement tomorrow. However. Uh, LaRusso's doctors have not yet cleared his return to the dugout as an active manager, but he will travel with the team to Chicago following Sunday's game. And again, the White Sox have a two-game set with Colorado coming up next week. So no word on when exactly he'll return, but LaRusso's doctors did clear him to travel to Oakland to participate in the pregame ceremony for Dave Stewart's uniform retirement tomorrow in Oakland. So good to see that he is healthy enough to travel and make it out to go see his buddy Dave Stewart um, tomorrow in Oakland. 312-332-3776. We're talking about the rule changes headed to baseball for next season. And this was from Jimmy Lambert. And I think his opinion is very, very important because he's a guy who has been up and down in the minor leagues and the majors, and he's kind of played by a different set of rules when it comes to the pitch clock and stuff like that over the course of this season. This was Jimmy yesterday talking about some of the rule changes that are headed to baseball next season. I think for me, I've always been a guy who like works pretty fast, so um, it wasn't something that I was like having to rush or anything. I think... You know, there might be some times like where you get a ball back and you want to rub it up or, you know, you want another an extra breath or something. That's where it's going to maybe potentially guys are going to have to find other ways because obviously, I mean, 15 seconds is pretty fast. I think it was 14 in the minor leagues. So um, I think for it's going to be an adjustment, I think, across the league 
for a lot of guys, but um, I guess we'll see how it goes. Are you happy about it at all, or just kind of like this is these are the rules we got to play with? I mean, yeah, I, I'm kind of like indifferent. It's just kind of like um, the rules that we're gonna have to play with, like you said. Um, you're gonna come to the park every night knowing like how long the game's gonna be. I think you've seen in the minor leagues, like you know, I was in the minors for like six weeks six, this year, and I mean every game basically is like two hours forty minutes, two hours fifty minutes in that range. You know, you're not gonna have any games that are four hours, which we had just two days ago or three days ago. Um, regardless of score, really, because the score doesn't really determine how long the game goes. It's you know. If, when the guy has to pitch 15 seconds, it's 15 seconds, you know? So, you know, you might see three-hour games, but not anything crazy. I mean, I'm guessing they're doing it because they want more offense. I don't think, I don't know how much it's going to matter. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of guys, especially the last couple of years, they are making adjustments to the shift, and they'll shoot the ball to left field, and you're not going to see that as much anymore. Now, are you going to see more balls hit into right field for lefties? Obviously. Um, and as far as bigger bases, I think that's more of an injury prevention thing. Um, which I think everybody would agree with is a good idea. So, about the disengaging from the rubber, that seems like there's going to be some healing out stuff going on there when we started. Um, yeah, it's like you can only do it twice, right? And then you got to pitch. And I think you get once you do it the third time, if you get him, you can you, get yeah, him. Yeah, or it's a balk. But once he gets up the base, I think that resets the disengagement. So like, yeah, guy gets the second or a wild pitch. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously that's going to benefit base runners, which I think is what MLB wants. They want more stolen bases, more action in the field um, because like, you, you can't really do a long hold because of the pitch clock, and you can't pick over a bunch because the third one's a balk. So obviously I think that bodes well for base runners. Um, pitchers are going to have to just be faster to the plate. I think that's what it comes down to if you want to control the running game. But um, like, I mean, I guess we'll see how that goes too. So that's Jimmy Lambert talking about the changes heading baseball's way in 2023. And I think one thing that you kind of hear from him there is, yeah, you like the, the pace of play to be picked up with the pitch clock. It's going to be weird, especially with the disengagement from the rubber rule, which I, I kind of said earlier, it's going to be a it's going to be a process, I think, with that one. And I'm sure when we see it implemented for the first time and enforced for the first time, it's going to feel weird. It's going to feel really weird seeing a, a third pickoff throw over. Because, again, there's not a lot of runners that get picked off, and it, it's going to be a fascinating change for the sport. How often will we see it actually play a factor in a game? I don't know. I don't know how many times we'll see it in in, in year number one with that rule. But it, I'm sure it's also going to be one of those things that – sort of slips the minds of players. And I'm sure there's going to be communication with catchers and, and dugouts and pitchers, but it's going to be one of those things. There's going to be an adjustment period there. And I'm fascinated to see how all of this plays out in baseball because I think a good number of these changes are good. I'm still skeptical of the uh, the way that they're going to, to have the shift. I, I'm still not fully bought into to those changes right now in baseball we'll have to wait and see who knows maybe i'll come around and, and change my mind on it too because i think that when i first was was privy to the shift i i was not a fan of it but it grew on me and who knows maybe this will grow on me as well but we'll we'll have to wait and see if you've got a thought 312-332-3776 is the number to call to get your voice heard here on white Sox weekly talking about these rule changes that are coming up to baseball in 2023. 
We are going to talk with Jeff and Gene Eidelson coming up at 2 o'clock about Grassroots Baseball Day. Looking forward to that conversation with them coming up at 2. White Sox and A's, they'll get things going here in Oakland coming up at 3 o'clock. We'll get you a lineup and some news and notes from around baseball when we come back here on White Sox Weekly as the White Sox looking to make it three in a row against Oakland here. Game three of a four-game series in the Bay. Hey, Sox fans, 2023 ticket plans are available now. We offer a variety of plans, and when you lock in today, you'll get postseason access as well. Flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. We'll get you the lineup when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. They head to the ballpark next Saturday, September 24th, as the White Sox take on the Detroit Tigers at 6.10 p.m. Be sure to get there early. The first 15,000 fans will receive an official White Sox windbreaker presented by Xfinity. For tickets, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. This is White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, getting you ready for the White Sox pregame show, the FanDuel White Sox pregame show, coming up at 2.30. Tyler Aki in for Connor McKnight. Connor's got the call alongside Darren Jackson coming up at 3.07, your first pitch out in the Bay. Let's get you the lineup for today for the White Sox. Elvis Andrews has been on a tear against his former team. He's got a multi-hit game in each of the first two games in this series, after the A's released him back on August 17th, he'll lead off and play shortstop today. Yoan Moncada's over at third. Jose Abreu plays first. Aloy Jimenez, your designated hitter in the cleanup spot. Five, six, seven. Gavin Sheets in right. AJ Pollock in center. And Andrew Vaughn in left. Yasmani Grandal, the eight hitter, doing the catching. And Josh Harrison your second baseman to round out the lineup for Miguel Cairo. Lance Lynn getting the ball as well today. I do want to hit on Lynn in just a second, but first, this was Miguel Cairo today in the dugout, not too long ago, talking with reporters because you may notice a glaring absence in the lineup. That is yet another game without Luis Robert. This is what Cairo had to say about Robert's health status. It's doing good. Uh, He was hitting. He's hitting right now over there. And we're hoping to see how he feels today, like in his hands, if it's better. So hopefully, you know, God willing, he can play tomorrow. So hopefully, let's see how everything goes today. Then he was excited. He, he wanted to be in the game yesterday. And I was like, no, no, just we got a day off, money coming up. And hopefully, if he can play tomorrow, off, come back Tuesday. So it, it, it might help him. He had the sore wrist, and then they got hit on the, yeah, the hand. So what is the issue right now? Right now, the, the wrist is still. We, we want to make, make sure his wrist is, is like a hot, like better than than before. And this is a perfect time that we're gonna have a day off, trying to make sure he get healthy, healthy, and he wanna play. He said that he wanna play, then, but we cannot throw him in there, you know, and and don't be like. Capable to, to, you know, I don't want to take him out in the fifth inning or the fourth inning or the seventh inning because he cannot make a good swing. So we just want to make sure that when he goes there, he is capable to swing and help us. So you heard there, Miguel Cairo, the interim manager, cautious approach there with Luis Robert, and I think that's the right thing to do. And he kind of laid out the timeline for you. The hope is that he'll play tomorrow. 
but also keep in mind that this team has the day off Monday. Maybe give them a little bit of extra time to heal that wrist because Luis Robert's going to be one of your most important players moving forward if this team can get into the playoffs and not just that, but you got to get to the playoffs to to make it worthwhile as well. And Luis Robert's certainly going to be an important piece to that equation as well. So, yeah, I think that's the right thing to do. Play it cautious with Luis. I know he wants to be back out there. I know his team wants him back out there. And we talked about this with Connor a little bit earlier in the show. Luis Robert might be the most important sort of X factor in this playoff race. It's probably a toss-up between him and Byron Buxton of the Twins for this three-team sprint down to the finish. Um, but yeah, that that's that's your that's one of your cornerstones, not just for this season, but for your future as well. You don't want to have any sort of lingering issues with it down the road as well. But no Luis Robert today. Hopeful that he'll be back tomorrow. If not, you're set up schedule-wise pretty well to see him on Tuesday for a two-game series against Colorado. On the mound today for the White Sox is Lance Lynn, and things were not going well for Lance Lynn at the beginning of the season. You look at his first-half numbers for the White Sox. Again, he had a limited sample size of starts because of the fact that he was beginning the season on the IL, the 10-game IL, with a knee issue. He went in seven starts, one in three, with a 7-5 ERA and 36 innings of work. It wasn't good for Lynn. His opponents were hitting 296 off of him as well and 35 strikeouts in those 36 innings. But in the second half, we are seeing the Lance Lynn that we saw last season. The Lance Lynn that made this White Sox team a runaway contender in the AL Central last year. Take a look at his second-half numbers here, all right? 4-2 and two with a 2.28 ERA in 55 in a third innings of work, a 195 opponent's batting average as well, and he ranks among the league leaders in the second half here. You know, what's funny is, We've been talking a lot, and rightfully so, about Dylan Cease and how good Cease has been all season long. But in the second half, Lance Lynn is currently first in the AL in opponents on base percentage, first in whip at 0.81, second in strikeouts, and third in opponents average, also third in ERA as well. Lance Lynn has been a completely different pitcher, and if this is the Lance Lynn that we're going to get the rest of the season, if the White Sox get into a playoff series, you look at the pitchers that they would have because, again, the the top two spots in the AL right now are all but wrapped up, but in a wild card series with Lance Lynn as one of the three pitchers that you'll have going, you think about Dylan Cease as your ace, then maybe Johnny Cueto, number two, could be Lynn with the way that he's pitching right now. And then whoever doesn't go in game two gets game three. That's a pretty good little setup that you got there in a, a playoff series. You're not going to find many better than that in all of baseball right now, especially with the way that these guys are throwing, and especially with some of the experience that these guys have. I mean, Johnny Cueto is a guy that's won a World Series. Lance Lynn's a guy that's won a World Series before. They've pitched in high-leverage, big-game situations I would like my chances in a playoff series if I'm the White Sox, but you got to get there first. Currently sitting one and a half games out 
in the AL Central and in all likelihood going to have to win the division if you do want to make the playoffs out of the AL Central. So it's going to be a great three-team race. I do want to get to Jesse Rogers' piece on ESPN.com of rival execs weighing in on how they are handicapping this three-team race down the stretch. But when we come back, we're going to talk with Jeff and Gene Idelson. They are in charge of the grassroots baseball program and the grassroots baseball day that's going to be taking place at Guaranteed Rate Field on September 13th. We'll get a little more info on that when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. White Sox Weekly here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Tyler Rocky in for Connor McKnight. Connor will be alongside Darren Jackson on the call of White Sox and A's coming up. 307, your first pitch out in Oakland. We have a great opportunity now to chat with Gene Fruth and Jeff Idelson of Grassroots Baseball, a fantastic program that is all about building baseball along Route 66 and some of the smaller towns where baseball is so prevalent. And we welcome them in to White Sox Weekly right now. How are you guys doing? And thanks so much for joining us. Well, we're doing great. Thanks for having us. So how did this idea of grassroots baseball come to be? What inspired you to take this initiative? Um, My first book, Grassroots Baseball, Where Legends Begin, came out in 2019. And that was uh, a pictorial journey all over the world of baseball, the amateur game, tied in with legends who wrote essays about what it was like growing up in different regions around the world playing baseball. And after that book came out, I wanted to grow grassroots baseball into something bigger and give back to the game that I love and the craft that I love. And I reached out to Jeff, who was retiring at the Baseball Hall of Fame, and asked if he'd be interested in creating grassroots baseball as a not-for-profit And he said yes, and off we went, and we decided our first journey would be along Route 66. And grassroots baseball is now a not-for-profit, giving back at the youngest level. We did clinics all along Route 66 with Boys and Girls Club, Hall of Famers joined us, and uh, minor league ballparks and major league ballparks sponsored us and, and hosted us for the clinics. And it was just off to a great start. And three years later, grassroots baseball Route 66 is now a book, and it came out this past May. So what can you tell us? What's been some of the feedback you've gotten on the book that came out? You know, just um, each Route 66 goes through eight states, starts in downtown Chicago, as you know, and ends in Santa Monica. And the stories, the images show that even though baseball is played the same everywhere in the world, it looks different in different places. And that's what this book shows, the difference between downtown Chicago and little towns like Baxter Springs, Kansas, and just what baseball looks like, the culture behind the game, geography, topography. And each state opens with a legend that tells his story of what it was like growing up along Route 66 and playing the game um, during his early days. And for Illinois, I'm proud to say Jim Tomey wrote an incredible essay, just what it was like growing up playing baseball in Chicago and his early years of baseball. And Jeff can talk more about that and all the other legends that joined us. Yeah, Jeff, so Jeff what, what were some of those stories that you got from some of these guys that were part of the book? 
Well, yeah, Jim Jim just has great memories uh, of growing up along close to Route 66. You know, his dad worked for, for Caterpillar, which built Route 66. He uh, was discovered at Lincoln Land Community College in Springfield, which is on Route 66. And he plays for the White Sox and Dodgers, so he's got all these ties. And what you learn from guys like Jim and uh, Alex Bregman in, in New Mexico, George Brett, Johnny Bench, is how much community mattered, how much it mattered growing up in these towns. And, you know, for a guy like, for instance, Johnny Bench, who's watching the game of the week with his dad when he's four years old, and the announcer says, now batting the uh, great switch-hitting center fielder for the New York Yankees from Commerce, Oklahoma, the great Mickey Mantle, Johnny Bench turns to his dad in rural Binger, Oklahoma, with a, a town of like 600 people and says, oh, you can be from Oklahoma and play in the majors? And that's what you learn is that Route 66 is truly a land of opportunity. Talking with Je- Jeff Idelson and Gene Fruth here. They are the co-founders of Grassroots Baseball. Grassroots Baseball Day is coming to Guaranteed Rate Field on September 13th. What can you tell us about some of the events that are going to be surrounding that? Well, the White Sox are really uh, have been very kind in embracing uh, Grassroots Baseball Day at, at Guaranteed Rate Field. Jim Tomey's going to be with us. We're going to have a book signing for the uh, hour right up till game time at 7. Uh, with uh, uh, half of the proceeds from book sales going to White Sox charities, so it's a good cause. The other half uh, goes back to grassroots baseball or not-for-profit. Uh, and then Jim Tomey will be part of uh, ceremonial first pitch, and uh, the White Sox will celebrate grassroots baseball day in grand style. Looking forward to that. That's coming up this week, so be sure to get your tickets and go out and see one of the White Sox legends, Jim Tomey, as a part of this celebration here. So what's been the most rewarding part for both of you guys in this journey along Route 66 and sort of unearthing these different sort of communities of baseball that you don't see in the mainstream media? You know, for me, it's Going to places I would have otherwise never had the opportunity to people that I would have never had the opportunity to meet and and people say baseball oh baseball's dying or you know baseball's not the same and then you go to these small towns Commerce Oklahoma where Mickey Mantle uh, grew up playing baseball Baxter Springs Kansas and you see that baseball is alive and well and the volunteerism at the youngest levels and little leagues all across the country. And it is so rewarding to be able to meet these volunteers, to meet these people and see how the game is still alive and well and being played at the youngest levels. And uh, it's heartwarming, really. And um, so for me, that was most rewarding. And seeing places where these legends grew up and and play the game um, was uh, just a great opportunity. And just to tack on to that, Tyler, right, to what Gene said, is really the civic pride that goes with it. I mean, the, the, as Gene mentioned, the uh, you know participation is really strong, which is great, but just how much it means to folks in small towns and large cities. And, and when we come in and they, well, what is grassroots baseball? And the fact that they can talk baseball with some more people uh, that love the game as much, they, much as they do the amateur game, it really just shows you how much, and how, how much it means and how special it is to so many people. Jeff Idelson and Gene Fruth with us here on White Sox Weekly, the co-founders of Grassroots Baseball. So is there a stop along the journey that particularly stood out to either one of you guys? I would say Commerce, Oklahoma, visiting Mickey Mantle's house. I had the opportunity for the Commerce High School baseball team to pose in front of Mickey Mantle's house and the barn where he became a switch hitter. His dad and his grandpa threw one side and the other side to him. And his house is still there. The barn is still there. And kids are still playing baseball at Commerce High School. And 
just being there and, and um, being at the house, being in that town, the water tower has pinstripes on it. It was just a, a real just chilling moment for me and experience for me. Uh, so that would be one of my highlights. And for me, Tyler, I think being in Williams, Arizona, uh, where Billy Hatcher is from, and just seeing how this small town, which is uh, in northern Arizona, the gateway to the, uh, to the Grand Canyon, played such an integral part in his life. And it's a town that is in the middle of nowhere, but it's very multicultural. And you see where Billy Hatcher grew up and the fact that he could uh, uh, run over and play a high school baseball game. And then uh, he tells this great story about also being in the state track championships and, and, and that he could, between innings, head over there and compete in the long jump. And you start to see how nurturing that community was, how cool it was, and uh, just how a guy like that, growing up in a town that small, can make it all the way to the majors and uh, win a World Series. You know, it's it's cool you guys bringing up some of those those spots there because even though this is not uh, along the the route here, but I go to my grandparents every single summer out in New Jersey, very small town of Salem, New Jersey. But one of the things that is always a landmark for me is in some of these one way roads that you're driving down is this one baseball field right on the corner there, and you drive by and it's just always stood out to me that. There's just baseball fields everywhere across America, and it's one of those things that I, I always remember that little field there. And even though it's it's not going to be in some sort of magazine, you're not going to see it in, in the newspaper or online anywhere, but you never know who played at that field because I, I believe Mike Trout is from like 45 minutes away from there, and who knows, maybe he played a Little League game there way back in the day. It's so nice, and that's what it is. I mean, and we get so much of that when we talk about grassroots baseball and Route 66. It brings up memories, just like what you're saying, these stories that people have about little fields, the first time they played on the field. And I just never tire of those stories. It really is connects generations, baseball, and um, it's what we love about the game. Tyler Jean has this great picture. Uh, she's mentioned Baxter Springs a couple times, which is in Kansas, and it's uh, – Route 66 goes through Kansas for all of 13 miles, but you've got this gorgeous little field that this longtime district administrator for Little League president there has, and, and head groundskeeper, museum guy, he does it all. And, you're, and it's in this tiny little town of a couple thousand people, Tyler. And you start to realize that this is where Mickey Mantle, as a 15-year-old, played town ball for his dad's mining team and was discovered by Tom Greenwade, who then drafted him uh, or, or signed him to play for the Yankees. So you, you're right. You know, you look at a, your field in New Jersey and think, man, Mike Trout might have played there. You go to Baxter Strings, Kansas, and you get the chills knowing that Mickey Mantle cut his teeth there. Exactly. Talking with Gene Fruth and Jeff Idelson, the co-founders of Grassroots Baseball here. Again, Grassroots Baseball Day coming up at Guaranteed Rate Field on September 13th. So we've hit on a bunch of things here with, with Route 66, but what's next for Grassroots Baseball and uh, a, some of the expansion that you guys may be doing? Our next project, we just started, uh, though our time is limited this season because of um, finishing up Grassroots Baseball Route 66, but our next project is Grassroots Baseball Women, and we'll be telling the stories of women in baseball, women and girls in baseball, past, present, and future, and around the globe. And women are doing so many interesting things on and off the field in baseball. So we're excited to start to tell those stories. And, you know, Tyler, you think about it, and you got to give Jerry Reinsdorf and his predecessor, Bill Beck, a lot of credit with the White Sox for introducing women to the game. 
Uh, of course, Bill's right-hand person was was a woman for many, many years who uh, went on to work with the NBA. And then, uh, uh, you know, Jerry Jerry had Nancy Faust as the organist and what she contributed to the culture at Comiskey and uh, back when it was called Comiskey. And uh, for those that can't get to uh, Guaranteed Rate Field on th- on Tuesday, on Thursday the 15th, we're actually going to have a book signing at the uh, August, uh, August House Chicago Gallery in Roscoe Village. Uh, with Mike Beck, who was an executive, of course, with the White Sox, and uh, we're looking forward to that as well. That's fantastic. So, again, the whole kind of premise around grassroots baseball, too, is the youth. I mean, you talk about the uh, a young Mickey Mantle playing in some of these fields. Uh, have you had any experiences with Little League and Williamsport in general? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the Little League, Tyler, has been a great partner of ours uh, through both both of Gene's books. They... Uh, uh, have been instrumental in, 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 in uh, really introducing us to a lot of people important in the game, uh, district administrators in Chicago. We have some great imagery from Holcomb Park and Jackie Robinson West Little League, for example, in Chicago in this book that are just riveting. Uh, but they really helped us along the way. And in Gene's first book, we actually have a chapter on Williamsport. And there's a great, really quick story I'll tell about uh, the fact that uh, uh, Gene was shooting WBC early in the year in 20, uh, 2018 in Japan, uh, managed to go to opening day of, of Tokyo. Uh, they sent us to a game. Gene went to this team's first game. Fast forward eight months later, here they are at the Little League World Series looking and saying, Gene, remember us? And then they ended up winning the whole thing. So wow. you just never know, and Little League has a big part in both of these books. That's great to hear there. Well, Gene Fruth and Jeff Idelson, thanks so much for taking some time with us here on White Sox Weekly again. Grassroots Baseball Day taking place at Guaranteed Rate Field on September 13th, so be sure to get out there on Tuesday. Thanks so much for joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, thanks so much, Tyler. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Tyler. That's Gene Fruth and Jeff Idelson, co-founders of Grassroots Baseball. Attention students, now is your chance to take advantage of the new White Sox student ticket offer. Get your friends together for some fun at the ballpark with tickets starting at only $5 for select games the rest of the season. For more information, visit WhiteSox.com slash students. When we come back, I want to get into this Jesse Rogers article on ESPN.com handicapping the AL Central race and the three teams that are still in the thick of things here as we sit on September 10th. That's coming up next on White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Menez swings and drives one deep to right. This one's going to go absolutely blasted by Aloy Jimenez. Home run in back-to-back nights for Aloy. First run White Sox tonight. Here's the 1-1 to Vaughn. Ground ball up the middle and through. Garcia's being waved around third. He will score easily. Andrew Vaughn comes through with a two-out RBI knock. It's 3-2. So and one against Puck. Tying runs at second. Here's the pitch. Shot in the left. It's down. McEwing waves him around third. The play at the plate is not in time. We're tied. Tied at three. Pitch by Puck. Elvis fires one in the left. This is down in the corner. Sox take the lead. Zabala scores. Romy home. Elvis Andrews in the place he used to play. Gives the White Sox a 5-3 lead in the ninth. Elvis is in the building. K-1 
kick in the first to Langoliers. It's a ground ball to short. Andrews up with it. Romy the turn, and the White Sox win it. Liam Hendricks throws a double play ball, and the White Sox come back from being no hit through six and down 3-0 in the ninth. They score five and earn the win. What a thriller it was last night in the Bay. White Sox hoping they don't have to sweat it out as much today. First pitch coming up at 3.07. Connor McKnight's got the call alongside Darren Jackson. Tyler Rocky in for Connor here on White Sox Weekly. Liam Hendricks also spoke about the win against his former team. Here's what the White Sox closer had to say after yesterday's game. Set it off to the game in Seattle, and this is uh, this is the same same similar game. It's uh, we uh, those are the games earlier in the year that we weren't winning, and this is a different vibe. We got a different attitude coming through. We're having fun, and everybody's pretty much yelling at each other, which is what needs to happen, which is great. But uh, yeah, these are the games where we don't we never can ourselves out of it. No matter who's pitching, no matter who's uh, who's on the mound, what team we're playing, we always have, think we have a chance, especially if it's a close game. And I think that uh, Eloy Homer really set the table. And I think Liam kind of summed it up perfectly there. These were games the White Sox were not winning earlier in the season. And over the past week, we've seen two games kind of like this, whether it's the Seattle game in the series finale on, what was that, Wednesday, and the White Sox down 4 nothing early. We've seen a number of games where the White Sox have gotten down in the 3-4-5 run capacity early on in a game. And then all of a sudden, They found some magic against Seattle, come back with six unanswered, and even though they gave up that lead, they still had the strength to overcome that and go out and get three more runs in a 9-6 victory against one of the best teams in the AL. The game last night, we haven't seen a lot of those games for the White Sox where they're down, they've been no hit through six, and then all of a sudden the bats wake up in the ninth inning and you come away with five runs. We haven't seen a lot of games like we even saw on Thursday. That was because the White Sox had a season-high 14 runs scored in that game. We saw power. We saw 10 extra base hits. We haven't seen nearly as many extra base hits with the White Sox team this year as we did last year. So all these good signs for the White Sox hopefully turn in the corner with time winding down here in the season. And it's going to be an interesting race in the AL Central. Hey, join us for Family Sundays at Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at $10 and parking for only 15 Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. This is from Jesse Rogers on ESPN.com yesterday. Who will win the AL Central? Rival execs handicap the three-team race. In a poll of 14 executives and scouts this week, ESPN asked who is most likely to win the division and why. Here's how the division sets up as we speak right now. Cleveland is currently in first place. You've got the White Sox a game and a half back. You've got the Twins two and a half games back. But that two and a half doesn't really feel as big as it may truly be because the Twins are playing the Guardians. And what do you know, you could be looking at a Twins team that's half a game back of Cleveland by the end of the weekend. Again, that's the the nature of having all these divisional games for both, or rather I should say all three teams heading into the, the final stretch of work here in September. So the Guardians garnered half the votes from the execs. They got seven. The White Sox got five. The Twins got two as the most likely team to win the division here. The kind of rundown on all of these are why they'll make it, why they'll come up short, 
And let's start with Cleveland here, since they were the favorites among the execs. They think that Cleveland is currently in first place, and that's enough of a reason to pick them. They are playing ahead in this race down the stretch. Plus, that remaining home road split is quite large, and it includes a six-game home series against the Royals to conclude the season. The Royals down near the bottom of the AL Central right now. So schedule certainly could play a factor in it. Why they'll come up short? Well, they had two big injuries to their starting staff when Zach Plesak and Aaron Savali were placed on the injured list earlier this week. And they actually, even though they have that six-game stretch against the Royals to end the season, they have the toughest strength of schedule among the three teams the rest of the way. For the White Sox, not only, this is for why they'll make it, not only is the White Sox strength of schedule the easiest among the three teams, it's the second easiest in all of baseball. And it's spaced out in a way that gives Chicago the next three Mondays off to reset each week. Lance Lynn finally appears to be in midseason form. White Sox are likely to get Tim Anderson back from a hand injury soon. And the addition of Elvis Andrews signed because of the injuries has provided a spark. Absolutely. Especially in this series against the A's. Why they may come up short If you've watched the White Sox for five months, every time they take a step forward, they follow it by taking a step back. And despite the week remaining schedule, their final nine games include playing in Minnesota for three, then flying to San Diego and finishing with three more games against the Twins. All of that coming without a day off. And the Twins, why they'll make it? Well, they control their fate. 14 of their final 26 games are against the Sox and Guardians. If they win those series, the math tells you they're probably going to win. But why could they come up short? Injuries are certainly a factor. Byron Buxton being one of the crucial ones here as we head down the stretch. He's been on the IL with a hip injury that's got him sidelined indefinitely. So it's going to be a fascinating race down the stretch. Again, Cleveland currently in the driver's seat right now with a game and a half edge over the Sox. And the Twins currently sitting two and a half games back. The Guardians and Twins will get going at 7.15 today. So White Sox fans will be watching that one at the conclusion of this game. FanDuel White Sox pregame show is coming up next. Big thank you to our executive producer, Eric Ostrowski, as well as Justin Rothman, Romy Gonzalez, as well as Connor McKnight for joining the show. FanDuel White Sox pregame show coming up next on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.